You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Hey, everybody, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. This is where Jesus is going to talk, first of all, to hypocrites, to these scribes who are pretentious, and essentially they're like religious frauds. And then at the end of the passage, we're going to be looking at literally the exact opposite of that, a, a poor widow who gives all her money to the, you know, to the temple. So this is one of these final um, stories that we're going to get in the Gospel of Mark that Mark is telling about Jesus on his way to the cross. And before we get into the text, I want to ask our question for the day. And this will be a fun one to talk about with your family or your small group or one-on-one with a mentor. Here's the question. How do you spot a spiritual fraud? Now, if you Google spiritual frauds or religious frauds throughout history, one of the guy's names that's going to pop up is Pope Leo X. Now, Pope Leo X actually was a Medici. You know, back in the 16th century, the Medici family in Italy, um, it was a powerful, powerful, and very, very, very wealthy family. Well, this guy comes from that family. He eventually becomes a pope, and he gets into, I won't bore you with all the details, but he gets into a war. He ends up, you know, depleting a lot of the treasury of the Catholic Church. So to raise money, in particular to raise money for the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, he created this kind of this scheme, right? This was like a fraudulent scheme known as the sale of indulgences. All right, now to understand the sale of indulgences, you first have to understand the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. It's not actually biblical, but the Catholic Church teaches that after death, souls could go to purgatory, a temporary place of suffering and purification before entering heaven. Now, again, it's not a biblical concept, but it was a concept back in the Middle Middle Ages, and it's still a concept today for Catholics. So an indulgence was essentially like a certificate that you could get by donating things, by donating money to the church. You donated money, the Pope or the priests or whatever, they would say, okay, great, you can, you, you don't have to serve so much time in purgatory now because you're, you're basically like paying it off. Does that make sense? Now, technically, the indulgences, the indulgences didn't forgive the sin itself, but it lessened the punishment for your sins. But you can see the problem with this. It's, it's not biblical at all. So it was like a scheme. It was a fraudulent scheme that this pope made up, and uh, he raised a lot of money. I mean, if you were a rich guy back then, you'd be like, sure, I'll, I, if I can kind of pay off my time served when I die, that's great. What does it cost me? You know, and so, so that's what the indulgences were. Now, maybe this sounds familiar because this was actually one of the reasons for the Reformation. Martin Luther, in his 95 theses, this was one of the major things he's addressing in those theses. Martin Luther was a was a Roman priest at the time, or Roman Catholic priest at the time, and he's like, this isn't right, this isn't biblical. And so, look, even God used something like that, something that was meant for evil, a fraud, and he used it to bring a great reformation into the church. Thank God, but that's, you know, one of the biggest frauds in, in all of history. 
Now, a less well-known example is a, is a woman named Joanna Southcott from England. She was born in the late 1700s, lived in the early 1800s, and did her ministry then. And she claimed to be a prophet, a prophetess. In fact, she here's what she did. She said she had this box of sealed prophecies. So she would write down her prophecies, and she would seal it in a box, and she would tell people, don't open it, don't open it yet. And, uh, and so it created... She had, I think, over 100,000 followers at one point. I mean, it was, it, she was pretty good at this. She was pretty good at fooling people and, and um, convincing people that she really was a prophetess of God. Now, it all started to fall apart when she, she prophesied that she would have a child. She would give birth to a child. I don't think she was even married, but she would give birth to a child that she called Shiloh. And this was a messianic figure. And the problem is she died and never gave birth to a child. So a lot of her a lot of her followers left her, they were disappointed. The gig the jig was up for a lot of her followers, but some followers stuck with her. In fact, they stuck with her for a long time. And the box okay, so she died in 1814 and the box wasn't opened until 1927. So they finally open up this this box of sealed prophecies. And inside there were some papers and writings and prophecies, but none of the miraculous predictions had come true. So finally, I mean, she truly is a fraud. There are still a few people who follow her, by the way, a couple of sects that are, that are still faithful to Joanna Southcott, but she's just another fraud. You can add her name to the list in history. Now on the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, we talk about a fraud shortly after that. Of course, his name is Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. I don't know if you've ever heard about the Kirtland Safety Society Bank, anti-banking company. It's true. Look it up. Uh, we talk about it in one of our episodes. I'll put a link to it down below. But it just shows how fraudulent Joseph Smith was, even with financial dealings with the church. Of course, he also claimed to be a prophet of God. And uh, listen to the podcast. If you want to take a deep dive on, you know, some of the some of the reasons that he truly his history is sketchy and and he's definitely not a true prophet of God. Anyway, that's Joseph Smith. But one of the guy that makes the list, um, it's a guy and his wife. And anyone who's heard of the PTL Club knows the story of Jim Baker and his heavily made up wife Tammy Faye Baker. So they started the PTL Club in the 1970s. This was a like a Christian-themed television program. Um, lots of fundraising appeals. Kind of, you know, one of the one of the televangelists um, back in the 70s and 80s. Well, they came up with this Heritage USA project, which was a Christian theme park and resort in Fort Mill, South Carolina. It was actually at the time one of the largest Christian-themed destinations in the U.S. But here's where the scandal came in. I mean, one of the scandals. There's a ton more to the story. But he started. they started selling lifetime memberships to the resort. And uh, the problem is, it was fraudulent. They said that, you know, if you, bought, if you paid money for this, if you donated to this, that you'd have lifetime benefits at the resort. And, and, uh, and it fell through. It was a fraud, among other things. Um, and so he, ends, he actually ended up spending some time in jail. And, uh, and he, his he ended up in a divorce. Jim and Tammy Faye were no longer. So anyway, that all un unfolded in the 1980s. But believe it or not, these guys, you know, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, or this Joanna chick, or even, even Pope Leo X, those guys were not the first frauds. In our story for today, 
Jesus calls out some frauds in his own day. And so let's turn to the text, Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 39. Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law. Now, this is the NLT, but if you're reading the ESV, he's talking about the scribes. We talked about the scribes a couple of weeks ago. The scri- one of the scribes, actually a good guy, came to him and asked Jesus this question about which is the greatest commandment in all the commandments. But most of the scribes were hypocrites. So he said, beware of these guys, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at the banquets. Now, let me give you some background on these scribes. Expositor's Bible Commentary says the teachers of the law wore long white linen robes that were fringed and reached almost to the ground. They were also shown special respect by the majority of the people being addressed by the honorific titles rabbi, father, and master. Now, in the synagogue, they got to sit on the bench in front of the ark that contained the sacred scrolls of the law and the prophets. There, the teachers could be seen by all the worshipers in the synagogue. They were often invited to banquets because of their prestige and were given special places of honor. So when Jesus condemns these guys, he's condemning the fact that they're seeking the honor for themselves instead of instead of seeking honor for the God whom they professed to serve. So this was the problem. Jesus said, these guys, these guys love their fame. So this is the first sign of fraud. And this is this is the obvious sign of fraud. Like the guys I just the, the three people I just pointed out at the beginning, celebrity. These guys are celebrities. Now, that doesn't mean that, that celebrity always leads to corruption. It doesn't. But, but there's always been a correlation, a strong correlation between celebrity, celebrity culture, and fraud, right? I mean, Jim Baker, we, most people know his name. He was a celebrity, and he was a fraud. Maybe in your small groups, or, or if you're talking about this with, your, with a family, or maybe riding in the car listening to this, hit pause, and make a list of some of the celebrities that you know who are frauds. I bet you, you'll make a pretty long list. And so in today's culture, it's actually no different than Jesus's culture. He's calling out a lot of these scribes because they think a lot of these scribes kind of believed the hype about themselves. The Pillar Commentary says that when a scribe walked down the street or passed through a marketplace, everyone with the exception of laborers, was expected to rise before him. So you could see how that could go to a person's head. And people are people, whether 2,000 years ago or today. So it's, it's really easy. I mean, think about some of the people that you love. And man, it is so hard to stay humble. It's so hard to keep your eye on the ball when you experience success. Now, this isn't just true spiritually, but this is true in the business world as well. It's so easy to get arrogant It's so easy to make it about you, and that's what a lot of these scribes ended up doing, and this is why Jesus is saying, beware of them. They love their celebrity status. They love the honor. They love the adulation. They love these respectful greetings that they get. They love being offered the prime seats in the room. Now, what did, what did the Bible say? What did Jesus in particular say about leaders? Why, why was he always picking on leaders? Luke 12, 48 gives us a hint. He says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. 
And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Again, think about the list you might have just made about all the celebrities who've fallen. It's really sad. In my ministry years, over 20 years of ministry, some of my heroes of ministry fell from grace. Guys like Ravi Zacharias, Bill Hybels. These are guys that I've read their books. I love their ministry, but they became such great celebrities that maybe they started believing their own hype. And now there are more people who ended up being frauds. Now, I'm not saying that they're not Christians. Just because you you make a mistake, even big mistakes, doesn't mean that the grace of God can't cover if you if you repent. Of course it can. But when Jesus said that when someone has been given much, much will be required in return, he's thinking about leaders. James 3 verse 1 says it like this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ouch. I mean, that that's really sobering to read those words. So even though I think fraud and celebrity culture go hand in hand, it doesn't have to. Like by the grace of God, we can, you know, people can have experienced success in ministry, and there are many people who have, and still be faithful to the end. Let's pray for our leaders that that's what they do. Okay, so the first sign of fraud in our text is obvious. It's like celebrity. But the second sign of fraud, as we read on, is not as obvious. It's a lot more subtle. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name it hypocrisy. But it's the kind of hypocrisy that you might not necessarily see. It, we, don't all, we can't always tell someone up front, like Robbie Zacharias or Bill Hybels, like, I had no idea. I was so shocked. I couldn't, I couldn't tell that that they were one thing on the outside and another thing behind closed doors. And when I found out that they were, I was shocked. But the truth is that God sees this gap. God knows. He sees the gap between outward religious activity and actual everyday piety. In fact, he's going to punish accordingly. Mark chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus continues. He says, Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property, and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. And he goes on to say, because of this, they will be more severely punished. Wow. Ouch. Let's get some more background. Again, Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, since the teachers of the law were not allowed to be paid for their services, they were dependent on the gifts of patrons for their livelihood. Such a system was vulnerable to abuses. Wealthy widows especially were preyed on by the greedy and unscrupulous among these men. Jesus particularly condemns the hypocrisy of their long prayers that were used as a mask for their greed. Now remember, the people probably didn't have the kind of discernment that Jesus had. They might not have known this about the scribes. They might not have realized that these guys were cheating widows. They could only see the outward stuff. Think about the difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what people think of you. Okay, so these guys had a a great stellar reputation. They were scribes. They were kind of the top of the ladder in terms of religious life. But character is what you really are. Character is what happens behind closed doors. Now think about that in terms of Jesus. Jesus had a terrible reputation among these people, but he had perfect character. By contrast, 
these Jewish leaders, many of them, had a great reputation, but their character was terrible. They were greedy. They were exploiting people. They were getting fat and happy on religion as if they were representing God. They had zero conviction about what really mattered to God, but on the surface, they were trying to look they were trying to look like they had it all together. That's why Jesus in another place called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're nice and clean, but on the inside, they're dead. Now, again, this second sign of fraud, hypocrisy, is not always obvious to everybody. You can't always tell if somebody's a hypocrite, but God can. God can always tell. Luke 12, 2, it says, The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. So that's a promise from Jesus himself. And then Peter said it like this to his understudy Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. He said, remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment, but there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. When I read that verse, uh, you know, I think about guys like Ravi Zacharias and Bill Hybels. I don't mean to pick on those guys. I'm just saying like their sin was not obvious compared to some other people's sin. Their sin wasn't obvious. In fact, the sad thing is once their sin came out, it appears that they weren't even repentant about it. And that, that's why I think it's so important that if, you're sin, if you do get found out, which is actually a good thing because it gives you an opportunity to repent, but if you do get found out, like you should take that opportunity to be to be clean, to come clean with God and come clean with people in your world, in your life. It reminds me of the story of, you know, King David, where he slept with Bathsheba and he thought that he'd covered it up. He'd thought that nobody would know about it. But then, of course, Nathan the prophet, God tells him about it. Nathan comes to David. It's really a cool story. He comes to David and he, and he tells David this little parable about, you know, this guy who only has one sheep and Anyway, it's this huge story that's, that's intended to get David to be angry about the person, the fraud in the story, and then Nathan ends up saying to David, you're the fraud, you're the fraud. But I love the, I love the response of David in that story. David confesses his sin. Once his sin finds him out, which the Bible says it will, once his sin finds him out, he confesses it, he comes clean, he truly repents. And so God always gives us second chances. Even, even to spiritual frauds, he, give, he gives everyone a second chance. But it's going to come out, Jesus said in Luke 8, 17, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So by the way, I, I maybe pause right here for a second in the podcast and speak to people, whether you're in spiritual leadership or not. Maybe you're listening to these words right now and you're feeling a sense of conviction because you've got some secret sin in your life, I would just encourage you, don't wait for God to send Nathan the prophet to you. Don't wait for someone to find it out. If you're a young person, don't wait for your parents to find it out. If you're a husband, don't wait for your wife to find it out. Or if you're a wife, don't wait for your husband to call you out on it. It'll be so much better for you if you come clean, come clean to a confidant, well, come clean to God first, but then come clean to a confidant about it. Because remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment, but there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. 
So allow God's Holy Spirit to convict you of sin in your life and come clean. You'll be so glad that you did. I know it's going to be painful in the immediate moment, but it's going to be more painful the longer you wait. So come clean. Now, the second part of that verse, 1 Timothy 5, verse 25, it says, in the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. What an encouraging thought. In fact, that thought leads us to the rest of our text for today. So back to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. So this is after Jesus talks about the fraud of the scribes. Now he's going to contrast that with this, the generosity of this poor widow in the story. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts, and then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. All right, let, let's look at this passage for a second. I think this is interesting that Jesus, he's in the temple still, or he's on the temple grounds. It's interesting that he sat down near the collection box and he just watched. It kind of reminds me of when I go to the airport. I love to sit at the airport and just people watch. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's people watching. He's checking out. He's seeing what's going on. After he just calls out the scribes for being hypocrites and celebrities, now he's just going to sit near the collection box and he's going to watch and see what happens. Now, some information here. First of all, Pillar New Testament commentary says the temple treasury was located in the court of women, which is the first enclosure of the sanctuary in which Jewish women and children were allowed to worship. So this isn't like the Holy of Holies. This isn't like deep inside the temple courts. This is the spot where women and children were allowed to go. And so that's why there's a woman there. Now, the Pillar Commentary goes on to say that the Mishnah reports that there were 13 what were called shofar chests in the temple, each dedicated to a special offering. So there were 13 different like offering boxes, basically, with a, with a shofar, which is a, like a Jewish ram's horn, coming out of the top of it so that you could drop the coin in and it would funnel the coins into the particular offering box that you were dropping your money into. Now, if you think about that for a second, that means that means that it would be pretty loud, right? If uh, think about these rich guys who are coming in there, who are dropping in their huge coins and all this money. I mean, think about the racket that that would make, and I'm sure that they liked that. They wanted to be seen. In fact, they might have even noticed that Jesus was sitting there watching them. Maybe that got them to dig a little bit deeper in their pockets and grab a little bit a little bit more coin and drop it in the real to really make some noise and to show off for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't impressed because he knew that it was only a fraction, that it was no sacrifice for them. And then imagine this this poor widow comes up. She has just a couple of coins, the smallest coins that you could think of. So it's like a fraction of a penny that we're talking about, but it's all she had to her name. Now she drops that into the shofar chest and it hardly makes any noise. Just a little bit of clink clank and that's it. And it's in the context of that kind of sound experience that 
that Jesus turns, and notice it says that he turns to his disciples now. He's not turning to the whole crowd. Now he's turning to his disciples, and he wants to give them just a private little lesson. And maybe he even just sort of whispered it to them. And he said, look, I want you to know that I've been watching, you've been watching, and you hardly could hear it, but this poor widow is given more. I think about that word, more. This poor widow is given more. Everything about the widow was less than. But Jesus is showing the reality of the situation. He says, no, actually, in God's eyes, in the economy of heaven, this poor widow is the one who gave more than. You think that these guys who made all the noise were the ones who did more? No, they didn't do anything. God knows that they did nothing. That was nothing for them. This woman is the one who made all the noise in heaven. Now, I want you to zoom out, zoom out for a second from this particular story. And I want you to think about both of these stories together in, in these two passages. Think about the irony here. This woman gave everything she had to a religious system that had failed. I mean, if you've been paying attention the last few weeks, Jesus, Jesus has already cursed the temple. The, the temple itself is going to be gone within 40 years. This money is, giving, is given on the temple courts that aren't, aren't even going to be there after 70 AD. This woman is giving to a toxic religious system that has already been cursed by Jesus, and yet, and yet, Jesus commends her. You know, some people would call someone like that foolish, but Jesus commends her. It's interesting the thing, it doesn't matter about the worthiness of the cause. It matters, what matters to Jesus is the attitude of her heart. And that's good for us to remember as well. Maybe for you, I don't know, I hope you're, I hope you're convicted by this story today. Because maybe for you, you've gone beyond the question about spotting a fraud out there. Because there's always going to be frauds out there. And you know what happens is when we hear stories of, you know, Pope Leo X or Joanna or Jim and Tammy Baker or Bill Hybels or Ravi Zechariah or all these people, I mean, you, you, you name it. When we hear stories of these frauds, I don't know about you, but I get cynical and sometimes I can even get stingy. Sometimes it causes me to be stingy. Now, I'm not telling you to give to the televangelist on TV. In fact, I hope you don't. If you're listening to this and you give to that, I hope you're not taking that away. Don't give to frauds. Don't give to frauds. But you can't always tell if they're a fraud or not. What you can tell, the question you can answer, if you're honest with yourself, is are you a fraud? I mean, forget about pointing the finger at all these religious leaders. And I meet so many people that that don't want to go to church or they don't want to give to church or they don't want to follow God because of all of the frauds in history. Look, if you're if you're focused on a person or a personality or a celebrity, those people will always fail you. They'll always fail you. Don't make your faith about the celebrity. In fact, I would say that that's the sign of a fraud in the follower if you're only interested in following someone who's a celebrity, you're only interested in the best preachers or, or most interesting preachers or the best vocalists or singers or, the, or the, coo- the coolest, hippest music out there. Now, again, I'm not saying, I'm not throwing all that stuff under the bus. I think 
God has gifted some people to be great preachers. Great. If you find those people out there, listen to them. I think God has gifted some people to be incredible worship leaders. Awesome. That's a biblical thing. That's great. Here's the thing. You're a fraud if your faith is dependent on those celebrities. So many people, when Ravi Zacharias fell from grace, I've read that so many people bailed on their faith. Well, that doesn't just expose the fraud in Ravi Zacharias. That exposes the fraud in all of those fickle followers whose faith depended not on Jesus or the Bible, but whose faith depended on that celebrity, that Christian celebrity. You know, I know, I know a lot of people who see all the, I mean, just all these celebrities that have been exposed, it really does break my heart. But I know a lot of people that now they've just given up on the whole thing. Why? My faith isn't dependent on those Christian celebrities. I have a relationship with God. I don't need a mediator like a celebrity to have a relationship with God with. It makes me sad that so many people have failed, but it doesn't impact my faith. If you're only interested in Christian celebrities, I I hope this episode will really convict you to get more serious about your personal relationship with Jesus. I hope you can read the Bible for yourself and you're not just depending on preachers to read it for you. Because preachers will fail you, but Jesus won't fail you. Or here's another question. I mean, let's talk about hypocrisy. Maybe maybe you think about the frauds who are religious outwardly, those people who are outwardly religious, but they lack everyday holiness, which is what Jesus is saying to the scribes. And we see it in so many religious leaders today. But it's not just a thing for pastors and televangelists and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. It's a thing for the everyday believer. I mean, just look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Stop thinking about the fraud out there and look in the mirror and say, am I that way? Am I that way? Do I act a certain way on Sunday or when I'm around my Christian friends, but in my everyday life at home with my spouse or with my kids or for you young people at school, are you lacking? Are you lacking everyday holiness? Like, yeah, you've come to faith in Jesus. You've trusted him for salvation, but you haven't really moved on to honoring him with your life. You're a hypocrite. you're, You're not... You're not one whole person. You're not the same person on Sunday as you are on Monday. Well, look in the mirror, because maybe the Holy Spirit wants to convict you today, not about all the frauds out there, but maybe the Holy Spirit wants to convict you today about your own hypocrisy. Or how about the last, you know, again, think about the story of of the widow. So many people, so many people make excuses for not being generous. This woman didn't make an excuse for not being, she just was generous. She was just obedient. She gave, even though it was even, it wasn't even to a good cause at the end of the day, she was still generous to God and Jesus commended her for it. I think this is one of the easiest litmus tests for us today. I think one of the easiest ways to answer this question, are you a fraud, is to look at your giving. It's crazy to me how few Christians actually give any percentage of their income. I, I'm, I, I want to challenge you today because as a pastor, you know, I'm not, I don't pour over the, the, you know, the 401ks of my congregants. I don't, I don't actually even look a whole lot at people's giving, but I do know this. There, there are very few people in the church today 
who give anywhere close to 10%. And I don't, I'm not saying that 10% is a rule. I, I actually don't believe that Scripture in the, in the New Testament teaches us that we have to give 10%, like that we have to give a tithe. But I do believe it, sh- it should be a benchmark. I do believe that we should give proportionately. And I do believe that it's an indicator of our, of our faith. I think it's an indicator if, if we really believe what we say we believe. I believe a genuine follower of Jesus is generous to the kingdom of heaven. And that means you should give generously to your local church on a regular basis. And hopefully your church is a Bible-believing, disciple-making church. And if it's not, then find one that is, okay? But I think you should be generous to your church. And then you should be generous generous to maybe to missionaries in your life. You should be generous to to God-honoring organizations like PursueGod.org. So Tracy and I, we're generous to our church. We give about 10% of our income back to our local church. And then we give another 5 to 7% on top of that to Pursue God and some other missionaries that we support. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just, I'm saying that to be an example to you that I the reason the reason I do that is because I believe that where my treasure is there my heart will be also that's what Jesus says I believe that if I'm genuine in my faith and I want my kids to see that and I want my kids to have genuine faith as they grow up I think the greatest the simplest one of the greatest and simplest things I can do is to be generous it's so easy to be generous with my money now maybe for you I hope you I hope you you're still listening but maybe for you this is something that you really need to ask yourself am I generous with my giving am I generous to the kingdom of heaven if you remember a few weeks back the pharisees asked Jesus if we should pay taxes to Caesar and Jesus said give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God and basically he was saying you know the roman coins had the image of Caesar stamped on them but he's saying you know, we have the image of God stamped on us. And so we should give him our whole lives. The implications are far reaching, but it includes our money. Some people take taxes more seriously than giving to the kingdom of heaven. And I think maybe those people are frauds. Now, again, I can't see someone's heart. I really can't. So I can't make that judgment, that blanket judgment. But Jesus talked an awful lot about money, and he talked an awful lot about it being a litmus test to whether your faith is genuine or not. So how do you spot a fraud? They're only interested in celebrity. They're outwardly religious, but they lack everyday holiness. And they make excuses for not being generous. That's a fraud. And and that, that fraud is not just a you know, a televangelist out there, that fraud can be right in there, in our hearts. We can easily become people whose, whose lips are saying the right things, but whose hearts are far from God. And may that not be so. I encourage you to read this passage again. I mean, spend some time on this passage, Mark 12, verses 38 to 44, and then really get with God and say, God, help me to be genuine in my faith. 
Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.